open your Bibles to the book of Luke. I'm going to recap where we're at. Um, I've defined trauma, and it's just a personal definition, so it's not, you know, from the Lord necessarily. You can do with it what you want. But I've defined trauma in this way. It's a wound that causes you to realize that the world cannot be trusted. And so you're walking in somewhat of an innocent perspective, uh, and it could take on different forms depending on your background. Maybe it's the first time you realized your parents weren't perfect, or the first time you realized that a man or woman in your life uh, wasn't worth trusting, or it were people around you in the workplace, or it probably happened before the workplace, or school, or whatever your context, you're walking in a place of innocence, and then all of a sudden things dropped on you like a brick, and you realize that your little world that you thought was so trustworthy is no longer trustworthy, and in a sense, your innocence is taken. And so for, for that definition, this isn't some of us, this is all of us, and here's what I've been saying to you, and I want us to almost have these things memorized week six is that the pain is not the primary problem. And if you're new, what I mean by that is although that thing that happened, and it could be kind of small or it can be huge, uh, that thing that happened is not your fault, and so to say it's your fault would be uh, just morally wrong. It's not your fault at all, but your response to it, your response to the thing is on you. And so the, the trauma happened, and now maybe it even happened like, before you were born with your parents' generation or your grandparents' generation and your family line, your family tree is all discombobulated and it looks dysfunctional because there were traumatic events that happened and instead of turning to Christ and surrendering those things to him, what you did and what your family has done is just kind of repeated the cycle over and over and over again and those people that you don't want to be like, you've ended up being like and those events that you did not want to take place in your life have ended up taking place on even a greater level than in past generations. And so now the cycle has hit repeat and what I've been saying to you now, I think 16 years into ministry, 11 years into the pastorate of, of being the lead at New Life, is I'm just getting tired of not seeing enough change. That on the key matrix of success at New Life, last week there were probably about 1,000 people in the church. You can find out in your bulletin if you're that guy or girl that wants to know the details. And the tithe was really healthy, and there's a lot of good things taking place and studies. And, and I think if you were to do like a, you know, a, just some research on what a healthy church look like, looks like, you'd say, oh, well, New Life, that place has some things going for it. What I'm saying as the lead is, although I respect those things and I love that people are listening online, I'm telling you there's not enough change that's happening on a heart level and it's not okay and it should never be the key matrix, those outside things. That if people aren't being radically changed by the gospel, are you awake? If trauma isn't going from a place of unhealthy to saying, you know, since I got saved, there has been this trajectory of my life. It hasn't been straight up. It's been like a roller coaster, but it's going in the right direction because Christ actually saved me and rescued my heart. And now I'm living a different life for him. And I'm not just being a religious person. I am actually surrendered to the gospel. If that's not happening and I'm not working through those issues in my life, then things aren't okay. And the church isn't being the church. There's some things that we've been saying each week. One of them is this by Rick Warren, that pain is inevitable, but misery is what? Misery is what? It's optional, that we don't have to live the way that we used to live. We don't have to be the person we used to be. And if we are, then the gospel's not true. I also said this to you. I texted to myself seven months ago. I'm sure somebody else said it, but I'll take credit because why not? If you don't deal with your past, your past will do what? 
It'll deal with you. And what you think is gone is simply lying dormant in your life. And I found that to be true in my own life recently. Things I thought I had worked through really were just lying dormant until a situation triggered them. And all of a sudden, I realized that I'm not as far along as I thought I was. And so here we are dealing with our junk. And I want to say this to you before we get into the text. The text is to be taken literally, but it's also symbolic as to the wounds, and I'll explain that in a little bit, that happen in our life and what I think on a symbolic level what they look like in the physical. But I want to say these things before I forget to say them because it's my last week to say them. Instead of dealing with our past, and I'd like you to write these things down. Instead of dealing with our past, we tend to do two things. Number one, we put up walls. Right? Not, I'm not talking about a little phys, literal physical wall, obviously. I'm talking about emotional and spiritual walls that we put up. We tend to put up walls in our life, and we don't want to let people in. If they have the potential to hurt us, we've realized that that's not safe. And so what we do is we kind of tiptoe back, and as soon as we smell danger or sense it, we put up those walls in our heart, and we say, no one's ever going to hurt me again. And so what I'm going to do, which is really the opposite of what we're called to do, is I am going to just live this life from a distance, and when it's not safe or the fire feels hot, I'm going to run for the hills. And so we put up these walls when we're living in this type of dysfunction. The second thing that we do that's dysfunctional, instead of dealing with our past so it doesn't deal with us, is we turn to idols, right? which is why we're using a recovery model and Celebrate Recovery to walk through this sermon series, because that's how we respond. Because the thing that happens to us is not our fault, but our response to that thing is on us. And so we either put up walls, we tiptoe back, and we say, no one can touch me, no one can affect these crevices of my heart that are still bleeding and open sore wounds in my life. And then the second thing we do, instead of running to healthy things like Christ calls us to, what we do is we just kind of repeat the cycle and we run to idols instead of Christ being our affection. And so it takes the place of addiction. And a lot of times, a lot of times, it takes the place of unhealthy, codependent relationships in your life and in my life. We look to people and things to save us instead of Christ and round and round the cycle goes. And so this is what we've walked in if you haven't been with us. We've said to ourselves through recovery that we're going to admit that we're powerless, that we're going to commit to life's Christ's control in our lives, that we're going to ask Christ to remove our character defects, which I think really the way to say that is to remove sin from our hearts. And then last week and this week are the two pillars that I think if you don't do this, you're cooked, okay? Last week I told you from a therapeutic standpoint, from a pastoral standpoint, if you do not do this, if you do not seek forgiveness and offer forgiveness, you will always spin. You'll tell yourself you've moved past the hurt and past the pain, but what you'll really find is it's just lying dormant in your heart because Christ commands from his bride a bride that is going to offer forgiveness like it's been given and to pursue forgiveness when it has wronged others. And everybody in recovery will tell you this. If you don't walk through that process, you're just spinning your wheels. And so that's a good evaluation in your own life. If you're saying, why is it that I've been a Christian for this long, yet I still have the same emotional baggage that I've carried since I became a Christian, I would challenge you, have you forgiven people that have wounded you? And have you pursued forgiveness from people as a result of your own trauma that you've wounded? So that brings us to this last week. And I I would challenge you to do that because what I've told you is that if nothing changes, do you remember? If nothing changes, then what? And nothing changes. Isn't that brilliant? (laughs) I thought of that myself. That's how 
sophisticated my mind is. That the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. And when you want to see the walls start to crumble, then you have to walk through the pain. And I want to close out this time with you by just clarifying that as you walk through this forgiveness, as you walk through this process of surrender, there is, this is the last week, there is to be found a purpose in your pain. And the purpose of your pain, and I'm going to give it away now and then we're going to walk through it together. The purpose of your pain is that you're surrendered to Christ and you're investing in other people with wounds. That you have made a conscious decision to say, I know it's vulnerable. I know the flesh wounds of my heart are real and they're still tender. And if you pour salt on them, it exposes them and it hurts. But I am going to choose, instead of being a recluse, instead of saying no one can hurt me, instead of putting up walls, I'm going to choose to engage the process and I'm going to be a light in the darkness. And there's going to be a purpose in my pain in that I am going to be a person who pursues other broken people as I am healing and invests in their life. And God is going to use that for his glory and he's gonna use that to grow the church. And it's not gonna be this thing where new life is growing in numbers. It's gonna grow in numbers that represent heart change. It's gonna grow in numbers that represent authentic, gospel-centered change. Here's the story I wanna lay before you. We've been walking through stories of trauma in scripture, and I wanna use this one as literal, and I wanna use this one as symbolic to what's going on in our heart. And it's this story of a man traumatized by this thing that we don't really deal with anymore called leprosy. And here's why I love this guy's story, and here's why I saved it for last. This guy's story is like so many of our stories in that he didn't see something coming. You wouldn't have known it's coming. You wouldn't have even known maybe how you got it. All of a sudden, you know, this rash breaks out on your arm and then it starts spreading to your face and all over your body. And it's not just that you have this physical pain as this starts to develop in your life and these open wounds actually hurt. It's that there is this social disconnect that now takes place because it's contagious and nobody else wants it. And so what happens on a emotional level as these people are traumatized, not just by their physical pain, but by the rejection they feel as a result of the trauma. And so that's what's happening to him. He's left his healthy community and he's moved to now an unhealthy community where everyone looks like him. In Jesus' day, people were well aware of lepers. People either witnessed them or knew them personally. And they would have this nerve damage that would develop that would ultimately result in loss of limbs and open infection. And so instead of compassion, people would judge, people would persecute. And they would persecute from this bad theology that stated that this was happening in their life. Look at me, this is how messed up it was. This was happening in their life because of a result of sin. And so now they're not just being physically in pain, they're feeling emotionally and spiritually shamed. And they need compassion, but they face persecution. And it was coming from, of course, the most likely of sources, once you're actually aware of how people can be in religious circles, it was happening from religious leaders who were stating, this is a result of sin in your life. And so now they're on the outside of the social bubble. They're on the outside of the church. They're living in God knows where, outside of where they're actually from. It would be like you know, being that social pariah where you're living in Aberdeen and life is good in Aberdeen, according to our catchphrase from like 10 years ago or 15 years ago if you remember that, and life is no longer good in Aberdeen, and then you're thrown to you know, the most unlikely of places, the Nazareth of the day, like a, like a Leola or something like that, or 
Eureka, I don't know, right? I'm just, just kidding if you're from there. But you're outside of what is considered to be the norm, and I'm just kidding about you Leolans who come to New Life. You no longer have meals. You no longer go to the store. You no longer hold a job. You no longer hang out with friends. You don't even go to church with everyone else. In fact, if your family still loves you and deems you worthy, then they bring your food to a drop-off point if you have good family, and then you would go there once they're gone, and you'd go pick up your food. You would smell differently because of infection, and to say that you're suffering just wouldn't quite explain it. And when you would come close to people, you were demanded to say this one thing as if it wasn't enough. You were demanded to say when you were to come into the town for whatever reason, you'd give people a warning because it was contagious. You would say of yourself, and you would scream it, unclean, unclean. And then you could enter town once everyone would see you and disperse accordingly. And I had this thought that I told the first service this morning that how long has this person in this narrative that we're about to read been saying this about himself before he then picked up on that reality and saw himself in that light as his identity was now wrapped up in not just a physical condition, but an emotional and spiritual state where he's looking at himself on an emotional level and he's believing this lie, this is who I am. And it's always gonna be this way. And so he's emotionally devastated. Let's meet him in scripture, Luke 5, 12. The Bible says in verse 12, while Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Underline that, it's important. It's not just beginning stages. He would have had scars all over his body. They would have been open flesh wounds. He probably would have had limbs that were starting to decay, possibly fall off, we don't know. There came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, here's what's so radical. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face. And I just wanna bring that to light for a second so you can get a mental visual picture of what's going on. If you have open flesh wounds on your face that are infected and there's no pavement to speak of 2,000 years ago, Jesus' day, how do you think that felt? And so he, he, he's so humble, he's so broken that he falls on his face, open flesh wounds and all, and he begs. If you have pride in your heart, you know what you don't want to do of anybody? You don't want to beg. He begs him, he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately, immediately the leprosy leaves this man. He's fallen on his face. He's come humbly before the Lord. Jesus responds to him. And here's what's so significant. We've talked about this before in church. What I love about this story more even than the physical healing that just took place is that the person that nobody wanted anything to do with Jesus engages and he doesn't just have compassion on him, he does something that you weren't supposed to do and he touches this man and when he touches this man to heal him, I mean, he's Jesus, right? He doesn't have to have a formula. Could he not have just said from a distance and tiptoed back himself, hey, you know, just unclean, I'm gonna heal you but if you could just make sure that you're at least within uh, 50 yards from me with that restraining order that the social people of the day have put on you. If you could just stay back there, I'll heal you from a distance. No, Jesus makes a point. Everyone's watching to heal this person it needs a desperate miracle from God and he does so by touching him. And what I love about this story is God takes the traumatized and he doesn't just heal them physically, he heals them spiritually and emotionally and as he touches him, look at me when I tell you this, he gives him dignity in his life. 
No matter what you've been through, Christ wants to heal you, and he wants to heal you spiritually and emotionally, and he will place dignity on your life when he does so because he's Christ. Maybe you think that thing in your life, that spiritual leprosy that you're facing is too great. Christ is saying, man, I love you. And I'm gonna change you from the inside out. And so immediately, the Bible says, the leprosy left him. Immediately, he has dignity about all the people that grew up with him that are now watching him walk into this town. He never should have walked into this town. He never should have approached Jesus. He's breaking all the rules. And then Jesus, instead of judging him like a religious Pharisee of the day, engages him and gives him dignity. And all those people that grew up with him on the playground are watching this take place. And here's how the story ends. And he charged him. He charged him. He says, tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priest. This was the order of the day. Go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he withdrew, that's Jesus, to a desolate place to pray because Jesus always goes back to this thing called prayer. But don't miss what just happened. You have to read between the lines a little bit. Jesus does this repeatedly in the Gospels. He heals people. And he has a plan that we'll get to in another sermon. It's not about that today. He has a plan to say, don't tell anyone. And he knows this guy's not gonna follow the plan because he's Jesus. He says, tell no one. Go walk through this protocol. But now even more, the report about him went abroad. And my question to you is, how in the heck did that happen? Well, the reason that that happened is Jesus said, tell no one. This guy is so excited about the transformation that's taking place in his heart in his life, by his wounds being healed physically, that he doesn't just tell a few people, he's going out and he's blabbing the name of Jesus and what God does for him all over the place and now everybody wants healing. And and the reason I bring this to light is, I hope obvious, but I wanna clarify it. The reason I chose this story for this time, this narrative to close out this sermon series is that although Leprosy is something of the past. The trauma we experience oftentimes leaves us like the man in the story. The reason that we're stuck, the reason that we can't seem to move forward is we haven't just messed up as a result of the earlier trauma. We haven't just made a few mistakes along the way. We have created an identity around our situation that now defines us as unclean, unclean. And I wanna show you this story on a spiritual level because I think what we can all identify with on some level when we've been through some things is we have this leprosy, but the open wounds wounds symbolically are sitting on the crevices of our heart and they are absolutely wreaking havoc in our life. That we are a broken people that when we turn to Christ should look Different. I love that this guy has a vision, not just for engaging Jesus, but he has a vision for his future. He believes in his heart, and God obviously is working in his heart that he can see past the pain. He has a vision for the pain. And what I want to hone in on is that he has Jesus in this narrative. He has a purpose for this man's pain. And I want to close out this time together with this idea that no matter what you've been through, it is not, for not, it is not in vain. God has a purpose in the pain. And his purpose in the pain is to take you from a place of brokenness to a place of healing so that his son, Jesus Christ, gets all the glory and that people are 
are getting saved in the masses as a result of this guy's story. That's what Jesus wants to do in your life. That's what Jesus wants to do in my life, that there is a purpose in the pain. And we're going to close with two questions. We're going to walk through them. And the first one is this. Why does, this is a sticking point, why does God allow the pain? This is in your bulletin. Just start filling it in and writing some things down. Why does God allow it? And if we haven't said that we've wrestled with that question, then we are a bit naive. Number one, God's given us a free will. God created us with a right to choose between right and wrong, between good and evil. And as he's given us that right, it takes place in the garden, right? You can eat this fruit or you can not eat the fruit. And Satan is tempting, the serpent is tempting Eve and then Adam. And in doing so, to not have that would be to have a lack of a free will, which would make you robotic, which would then disconnect you from the community of God where you could actually have this relationship that chooses to serve him. And so because God's given us a free will, that comes with the good and the bad. And here's where it's really sticky. Because God has given other people a free will to make good decisions and bad decisions, in large part, can result in your personal trauma because you didn't even do anything wrong, but that choosing person chose to victimize you, and now you've been walking in it for a very long time. But the reason God, I'm not saying God creates the pain, but the reason God allows the pain is because he's given us this free will. And so if you keep doing the same things and keep walking in the decisions that aren't pleasing to God, then you are by definition living in this insane world where you're doing the same things year after year after year, and you're expecting different results. And then what you're doing when life doesn't go well is you're blaming God for all of your woes, and he's putting it right back on you this morning, having you look at your life through this spiritual lens of a mirror in your face and saying, I didn't do that, that's on you. That initial thing might have been not your fault, but everything else, that's on you. Why does God allow pain? Number two, God uses pain to get our attention. A lot of times these things that we think are the core issues in our life are not the core issues in our life, They're a symptom of a deeper heart issue in our life. God will allow pain to get our attention. God will allow some depression to get your attention. God will allow some anxiety to get your attention. These are the warning signs. They're not the core issue. They're the stove that's hot and you put your hand on it and you get burned, and you're getting burned, and it's hurting because God's telling you to remove your hand. And so you have this angst in your heart because you're not serving the Lord. That pain's a wake-up call in your life, and God's using it to get your attention. Write this one down. This is the third one. God uses, us, uses pain in our lives to teach us to depend on him. That because we're to live in community with God, he allows us to go through these things to teach us that everything else in our life is not going to work apart from him. There's this quote in the literature that we're reading that says, you will never know that God is all you need until God is all you have. You relate to that? That's what people in recovery call rock bottom. I'm going to say that one more time. You'll never know that God is all you need until God is all you have. And when it's all falling apart and you've lost all that matters, it's in that point that you can see clearly that Christ is the only one that's remaining beside you. And without problems and pain, you never realize who the real problem solver is. 
Here's where we're going. This next one, they kind of just build on themselves. But this next one, I'm telling you, if you don't get this, you're stuck. Why does God allow pain in your life? God allows pain to give us a ministry to others. I'm not seeing nearly enough people write that down. God is allowing pain in your life for a future ministry to others. There is a purpose in this pain. And what does pain do if you've been through some pain? Pain makes you humble, doesn't it? Pain to the point of putting your face with open sores in the dirt. That's humility. Pain makes you humble. Pain makes you sympathetic. Pain makes you sensitive to other people's needs. And if it hasn't happened yet, just just hold tight. Maybe you're young, you're coming here as a high school kid, everything's gone great. Just so you know, at some point, like I was kind of the golden child when I was young, at some point life slaps you right in the face. And your parents, they worship you too much to tell you the truth. So I'll tell you, life's going to stink for you. It's not going to all go well, and that's God's grace on your life because God's allowing pain on your life to give you a ministry to others. Pain makes you humble, sympathetic, and sensitive to other people's needs. Pain prepares you to serve. Pain prepares you to serve. Here's what people that are hurting don't really want. They don't really want someone who has all the answers that's never been through anything. They want someone who can really relate to them and they can see their life on display and say, it used to be this way over here, whatever the narrative is, but Christ was good to me. He opened my eyes. He allowed me to go through some pain and now I can pour into your life in a way that's selfless. Here's the last choice of the recovery material that we've been walking through. Here's what it says. I'm gonna yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news, which is the gospel to others, both by example and by my words. I'm not gonna waste the pain that God has put in front of me to draw closer to him and to have a ministry for other people that are hurting. I was worshiping at the first service and I didn't have it in my notes. In fact, I don't have about some of this stuff in my notes, but I wanna share this idea with you because I really believe as we are singing, Holy Spirit, you know, enter this place, you're welcome here. I really feel like God said something to me that if we walked out of this time together, If I didn't say it to you, that I'd be wrong before the Lord, and so I'm gonna say it. There's something that happens. I hope that I've said this, but if not, here it is. There's something that happens as a result of the trauma in your life that puts you on a trajectory to not help other people. When the walls go up around the spiritual leper colony of your life, When you realize at 10, 12, 13, maybe 15, 16, 18, 25 years old that this world is no longer a safe place and those people thought that you thought you could trust can no longer be trusted, when that happens in your heart and in your life, if you don't give that to the Lord and walk through the steps that we've been going through the last several weeks, there's something that's gonna happen as a result of that where the leprosy is at full effect and manifesting on the crevices of your heart. If you don't deal with this, it's gonna be a stumbling block and you'll never get to this last step. And what you will do is you'll waste your pain, you will waste your pain. And so here it is. If you don't deal with these things, instead of being selfless, the person who is in the middle of trauma, even though they don't want to be, I'll give you that, when examining their heart a little further, the problem with trauma, look at me, the problem with trauma is it makes you intrinsically selfish. The problem with trauma 
is that even though you don't want it to be, it becomes all about you. Because what happens is the pain is to the level where it's right in your face and you're nearsighted and you can't see past it. And so it all becomes about you. It all becomes about your problems. It all becomes about when you decide to push other people away because it's become too much. And those things that you don't want to do, you end up doing. And those people that you don't want to be like, you come, become like in, in, in a sense because your pain becomes a catalyst for selfishness in your life where you can't help anybody else because you can't even get past your own struggle. And so you'll never get to this step, you'll never yield yourself to God, you'll never bring the good news, both by example and by words, because even though you don't want it to be, it's all about you. You call the shots, you make the rules, you determine who's in and who's out, and you'll never help anyone else. Second question, closing with this one. How can you use your pain to help others? Write it down. You accept the mission. The Great Commission, which drives new life for the last 16 years, is very simple. Matthew 28, go and make disciples to all the nations. Baptize them. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. As soon as you become a Christian, the most powerful Christians actually are new Christians statistically. As soon as you become a Christian, you become a missionary. The leper's charged to tell no one. He tells everyone. We're charged to tell everyone, and we tell no one. Accept the mission. This is from God. This is a therapeutic reality in your life. As you're put on mission, all of a sudden, and I'm going to show you a video in a second to close this thing out of what's happening in Ukraine and how this plays out. All of a sudden now, when life's not truly about you and your problems and your struggle and you've walked through this process of forgiveness and you've released control to the Savior and now you're thinking, how can I help other people in their narrative? All of a sudden now, those things that seem so big when you're looking up and not looking out start melting off your life and now you're being used like Christ would like to use you in the context of your local church. So second thing is this, tell your story. Now I would love, I'd love to hear some of the stories that are coming out of this series. Right? Be humble about it as you're sharing your story with others. Be real about it. Authenticity is critical when people are hurting. I would encourage you, according to the literature, not to lecture. Not to lecture. But to selflessly tell your story as a means of helping other people that are struggling. You can, you can email your story if you choose to to info at newlife.org. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but we have youth that have put their story on the wall outside. This is what Christ has done in my life. Tell your story. Your narrative matters. The last one is this, consider your beneficiaries. You probably know this, but maybe you don't, so I'll say it. Here's what I know about everybody because I have the vantage point of hearing them, the stories. That it feels like when you're struggling that you feel isolated on this colony alone. But the reality of your story is that it's not that unique, although it's painful, and that most people, look at me, we're gonna close, most people are messed up. Good old Midwestern, hardworking people that go to church at least one Sunday a month and maybe throw a little in the plate at church or maybe even serve in the local church. You get behind the scenes and people are broken. That's the whole point of this series. That's why people are listening. Consider your beneficiaries. We all have a circle of influence that we have a choice to influence. 
There are people around us that need to hear that you are healing, that you're walking through a process, and that they can too, and that Christ is not a answer. Christ is the answer. Christ is the way, and that he's radically changed your life and your heart. In a culture where 96% of Generation Z does not believe that the Bible is true, that the inerrancy of Scripture is real, in a culture that is lost and dying, your story matters. Your investment in other people's life matters, and the byproduct of you being obedient to a way of pouring yourself out and tearing down the walls is it's not going to just heal them, it's going to heal you. I want to show you how this plays out, and we're going to take an offering. Um, four years ago, I was in the capital of Ukraine and some other areas, and recently I've been scrolling through my phone and looking at pictures of the way things used to look in Ukraine, and then watching news too much, because it's affecting my mental health a bit, to be honest with you, watching news too much and seeing pre-Kiev and post-Kiev. And just being completely torn up about that reality. I'll go to bed, I get on my phone, it's time for bed, and it's time to watch some Ukraine news. It's never, ever good. And I'm looking at this place that's literally dark. It feels like Gotham. Everything's blown up. It, it looks like anarchy. It looks like apocalyptic in nature. I'm watching this stuff, and I'm looking at my phone because I've got like 100 pictures of this place. When I was there, I remember I showed, I think I said this a few weeks ago in church, I showed uh, and this apartment or like this little townhouse in the capital on a, on a paved brick uh, pathway, and I said, man, wouldn't it be cool that one day if we were kind of serving part-time in Ukraine, and we, we lived in that place, and we did what Paul was doing, and she sent me that picture last week. She said, remember this place? I wonder what it looks like now, and I built this relationship with Paul about 10 years ago, and we've been supporting him, and this guy in the early 90s had this call in his life to go to Ukraine and to share the gospel, and he's now shared the gospel, I think, over the last 30 years with well over a million people, and we've been instrumental as a church in helping that and funding that and going on those trips with him. And then all this stuff breaks out in Ukraine, and, and Chuck, who's really involved in missions as a pastor at our church, is having this correspondence with Paul, and he starts emailing us. And he starts telling us what he's doing, and now he's 60 years old, and so he's not in the fight, but he's saying it's, it's as bad as you would anticipate, and those people that you knew on those trips are being torn apart. You talk about trauma. People that are literally, I mean, the kindest people on the planet, educated, lovely, humble people that we met, living in this beautiful place, this fertile place called Ukraine, are now being torn apart where these young wives and mothers are saying goodbye to their husbands as they're now leaving to these places like Poland and Moldova and their husbands are staying back with a gun that they probably never even used in this guerrilla warfare. And all of this trauma is taking place and Paul sends us this message. He says, I got into Moldova. I need to raise money fast. I'm sharing the gospel. Last night, two Moldovans got saved as we shared the gospel with them. But we're supplying, uh, we're supplying their basic needs, and we feel called to go back to Kiev with truckloads full of material that you need to provide for us. You need to partner with us. And then he sent us this word. I want to, I want to show you this video. I want to show you what purpose in the pain looks like in the midst of trauma. If we could show that, we'll Pastor close. Pastor Rodney and Chuck and everyone at New Life Fellowship in Aberdeen. This is Paul and my wife, Nastia. 
We're here in Moldova near the border of Ukraine. We're helping refugees come over, uh, stay here for a couple of days before they move deeper into Europe. Uh, just the wives and the children, uh, the men, the husbands, the fathers are staying back in Ukraine to fight during this very, very dire time. Uh, we are here putting together uh, supplies of food and uh, medicines. We put together about five tons of food and medicine last night, and we plan to take those trucks to the uh, border of uh, Ukraine and Moldova tomorrow, or at the very latest on Monday, and then head up on a very dangerous road, actually, to uh, the Kiev area. That'll be Eric, our, our team member, and Vladik and Misha. Please pray for them. Um, but we plan to continue doing this as long as we can, and we just want to say thank you to, to New Life uh, for all your years of friendship and support. It is so valuable right now, and we just thank you for your prayers. Please keep praying for us. We love you and thank you. Hello, Pastor. It's kind of a weird tie-in because you think of Ukraine, you wouldn't think about what we're talking about, but I think it's a perfect tie-in. It's this idea that there's so much more than the immediate circumstance of what's taking place in your life. And in the midst of whatever's happened, that there's a purpose in it. I can't, I can't even imagine a more traumatic thing than what they're going through right now. We know these people. We know that right now, probably, right? Right now, they're on this road, and I think Chuck said this earlier, but I wasn't in here, so I'll say it. And Russia's not like America. They don't have checkpoints to make sure that you've got food and not guns. They just target you. Right now, they're just a driving potential you know, missile attack away from that, whatever they're driving, blowing up, and they're doing so, and they're going, you know what, whatever happens, happens, because I serve Christ, and I know what he wants me to do, and I'm in the midst of all this trauma where all these people I love are being separated, mothers, daughters, sons, and fathers, I might never see them again, but there's a purpose in the pain, and I'm going to stay on mission, and the trickle-down effect is when I pour out instead of hold in and run, when I tear down the walls spiritually in my life and say, Christ, I'm going to exalt you in all that you have for me, then not only are those people going to be blessed, but I am going to be healed. And so I'm going to choose to forgive, and I'm going to choose to forgive others and pursue forgiveness, and I'm going to receive healing in that way. I'm going to choose to relinquish control of these areas of my heart, but then I'm going to do something with my story, and it's whatever God's called me to because I am not going to be a victim. I'm going to be victorious over this issue of my life, whatever it is. I'm going to look like Paul, and for whatever remaining days I have left, I am going to serve Christ with all of my heart, passionately pursuing the Savior, and I'm going to let that be a catalyst for these things to melt away. There's a purpose in the pain. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this series. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. As we take this offering for Ukraine, I just pray that there would be a, a generosity in the church that would be something that we can celebrate next week. God, on a larger scale, we put up all these areas of our hearts that we deem off limits for you and for everybody else. And I would pray that this would be a time in these last several weeks where those things would start to melt away. That we would not live in the same brokenness of even the last generation before us. That we'd realize that you're the only one that has control and that control in our life is an illusion. And that whatever's happened doesn't have to be the same. And that the cycle can be broken because you didn't just die on a cross, but you rose from the grave so that we can have life. 
pray that you would move in our church, that we would be a light, and that we would receive the healing that only comes from you. And I pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.